Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 240 of Yoga Land. So, hi Jason. Hi Andrea. I have to tell you something, which okay. is that last week it was episode 239, and I said it was 238. So we have two 238s. And we're Do you remember conversations, a few of them that we've had in the past where I've said, I don't think you need to say what number it is. Doesn't that get complicated and hard? It's, it's not hard if you're not an idiot like me. Well, you're not an idiot. Thank you very much. <laughs> anyway, I think it's helpful to people, strangely. People have they have said that it's helpful, smarty pants. It's very dangerous to listen to people's comments. Including yours. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, so I want to say one other thing, which is like at the end of the daily podcast, every time Michael Barbaro says the same thing, he says, here's what you need to know today. But he struggles with it. And he says it in that very strange way. Saying to know today is very hard for him to say. And he's actually done podcasts where he has shown the behind the scenes or played the behind the scenes of his audio producer saying, say it again, Michael. And then he tries, here's what you need to know today. Here's what you need to know today. He cannot not do it. Gotcha. So I cannot not do my intro with my number, and that's the end of the story. Okay. I was just trying to tell you that it was a funny little thing. Yeah. You got it. Okay. So today we are going to talk about the thing that I believe people most regularly want to talk about in yoga, which is backbends. Do you think that's that's what they most want to talk about frequently? I think culture has changed. Arm balance. Arm balancing. Yeah, hands like inversions. Yes. I think the, I think those have been kind of king slash queen of the castle in terms of postural equity. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. But backbends are interesting. And there's a couple things that I really want to talk about specifically with regards to backbends today. Of course. Mm-hmm. And some of these things that I want to talk about are a result of all these conversations that I had during the Q&A in my recent online sequencing training. Yes, you just wrapped that up. Yeah, so one of the things that we did in that sequencing training was I taught them a class that focused on anterior core strength and bakasana and a handful of other things. I did that on one day. And then on the other day, I created the opposite of that class, which was posterior core strength and working on backbends. And in the process of teaching backbends, when I taught bridge and Urdhvadhanyarasana in inverted staff pose, I did what I always do, which is encourage people to experiment with taking their feet a little bit wider. And anytime I do this, I just know there are going to be so many questions about it, right? And because anytime we, I won't even say we're really breaking with convention by taking the feet wider, I will say we are adding another choice that complements convention by taking the feet wider and actually letting the legs turn out a little bit. But something as as simple as that can have a massive impact on the quality of someone's experience in the backbend, but it also feels frequently like it's something we're not supposed to do because we have been told not to do that. Right. Can I start with a simple question, which is, do you know where that alignment originates from? The keeping your feet 
perfectly parallel to each other and not too wide apart, like hip, no wider than hip distance. I do. I know exactly where it originated. There's a man yoga teacher named Joe Pasadena. Oh, gosh. Who taught yoga in the late 1970s. Hey, it into sounds the early like Joe 80s. probably has a really great Hawaiian shirt collection. Does Very he? good. Yeah. And he was an innovator. He was a pioneer. He was okay. born in Berkeley. In 1954. Okay, in 54. I'm just. I don't. Okay. I don't even know. I don't even know if the math works. I don't think Someone's it does. Like Joe Pasadena googling. <laughs> no, Joe Pasadena is my fall guy. Right. Right. I've talked a little bit about Joe Pasadena. A little bit, yes. So the answer is no. I don't know where it originates, and it's not unreasonable. I'm not going to say it's wrong. It's not wrong. It's that it isn't the only right. Okay, but in case people haven't heard of Joe Pasadena, Joe Pasadena is. And in case you don't know, I'm kind of a weird guy. Uh, Joe, I, mean, I know that. No, I know that. <laughs> in case the listener doesn't know, so I made Joe Pasadena up as the fall guy for all of the emphatic yoga statements that have been carried down, and they're not necessarily wrong, but they're also not the totality of what was right. And what I also like to say is, we are all Joe Pasadena. Like all of us, from time to time, get it wrong. Or, or we, we insist that there's only right one that, right that, way. That, that, was, that was the next yeah. thing, right? It's like we see that as a yoga teacher and just a person in this life, you're going to pass on misinformation knowingly or unknowingly. Like you just are. That's how it is. You're going to get things wrong. Or like you said, you're not even going to get it wrong, but you're going to say something in the moment that doesn't represent the totality of the thing. And the, the challenge is – in every subculture is and yoga is kind of a subculture is that people are listening and they aren't necessarily listening super critically and so what tends to happen is certain black and white easy to teach technical teachings get taught and then they don't really get questioned because the person teaching it is Joe Pasadena a perceived authority Mm -hmm. And so we just kind of continue to perpetuate it, right? And Joe Pasadena might even have a good rationale, but it doesn't mean that it reflects the totality of the situation. So let's just, let's start there. Cause there's more than just, there's more than just the position of the feet and the hands in these poses that I want to talk about. There's, I think thinking about the functionality of strengthening the back body in complement to the functionality of opening the front body. So there's kind of a lot of things that I want to talk about with these, but we'll, we'll start with this because these are always the big ones, right? So taking the feet hip width apart and keeping the thighs parallel to each other and internally rotated or slightly internally rotated makes sense for many bodies. And the kind of body that it makes sense for is a body that has a high degree of mobility in their quadriceps and hip flexors. So if you think about just standing, bending your knees, and then against resistance, re-straightening the knees, it's sensible to have the feet not together. It's sensible to have the feet about hip width apart, about hip width apart. Okay. So in terms of force trajectory and force displacement, okay. So when you do bridge pose or Urdhvatanyarasana or Viparita Dandasana with the feet hip width apart, thighs parallel, thighs internally rotated, if you are as happy as can be, you should not change. Yeah. That is working for you really well, right? That means it's a good fit. Like that instruction is a good fit 
for the body that you have. But there are a couple of things that make that particular alignment suboptimal for many bodies, okay? When the thighs are internally rotated, that tends to create a little bit of anterior pelvic tilt. Now, that isn't necessarily a bad thing because a little bit of anterior pelvic tilt in a backbend can increase thoracic expansion. So it can help you go into the upper back and the mid-back, which is a good thing. But a little anterior pelvic tilt and backbends for some people also creates a little excess compression in the lower back. So for some people, anterior pelvic tilt works really well on their backbends. We shouldn't take that possibility off the table because for those people, they get in the thoracic spine. But for other people, it can create a little bit too much compression in the lower back. Now, when we think about feet hip width apart, what I'll say is when you take the feet wider than hip width apart, so, and, and I want to be reasonable here. I'm not talking about taking one foot, you know, to one side of the room and the other foot to the other side of the room. I'm saying start in bridge or ordvidanyarasana with the feet apart, hip width apart. That's a good starting place. Then take your feet wider, maybe about as wide as the mat. And sometimes even turn the feet out slightly, especially when your yoga teacher's not watching, right? And see how that actually feels in your body. And, we'll, and let's address that first, and then we'll talk about whether or not there's a long-term danger. Because someone might think, oh, this feels good in my body, but I don't know if it's right in the long run. Maybe I'm hurting myself in the long run. So we'll deal with that. When you take the feet wider than hip width apart, you are slightly uncoupling the resistance that you are experiencing on the right hip flexor and quad and the left hip flexor and quad. So for example, if you put the two feet together, then the resistance that each quad and each hip flexor, the resistance that each side is presenting you is magnified because the resistance of the right side and the resistance of the left side, they're together. Hmm. Whereas when you take them hip width apart, you've started to separate them. You started to uncouple them. Whereas when you take them even further apart, it's a little bit of divide and conquer. Hmm. When you take those two legs apart from each other, there is less net resistance to the hips moving into extension. So like in simple layman's terms, taking the feet a little bit wider than hip width apart and slightly turning them out tends to decrease the amount of resistance that your hip flexors and your quadriceps are presenting to you. Hmm. So if you have a lot of tightness in hip flexors and quads, the closer you feet your feet are together, the more that resistance couples, those two legs kind of reinforce each other. Whereas when you take them further apart, you are decreasing the net amount of resistance that you're getting. Another thing to think of, which I think is really important, and is probably going to get into the next bit of co technique conversation. When the feet are a little bit wider, it's also much easier to engage the muscles on the back of the hip. It's much easier to engage your extensors. It's much easier to engage your hamstrings, your quads, excuse me, your hamstrings, your glute max, and those other extensors. Now, I think that this is a reason why some teachers still don't want people to take their feet wider. 
is because taking the feet wider makes it easier to engage your seat. It makes it easier to engage well, and the that's glutes. where the second, you know, Joe Pasadena totally. of, of don't ever, ever, ever engage the buttocks totally. in your back bends comes in. Right. Right. So we'll, we'll get there. But the, I think the bottom line is, there's two bottom lines. Number one, yoga is, always has been, and always will be a process of self-inquiry. So if we're not even testing what we believe to be true, I don't think we're doing a yoga practice. Yeah. We're doing an exercise practice. We're doing a memorization practice. There's still utility to it. But if I am just executing someone else's rules, and I don't even really know if those rules are applicable. I don't even know if who made those rules. It was, was Joe Pasadena truly an, an expert in biomechanics? Probably not. So I think the bottom line is, if for no other reason, test this out. Because I'm not, I'm not saying feet hip width and turn feet wider than hip width apart and slightly turned out. I'm not even saying everyone should do that. I'm saying everyone should experiment with that, right? And we're staying within reason. Your yoga mat, your, your feet are still on the mat. You're still grounding the base of the big toe. You're not creating any distortion. You're not getting sloppy with like rolling to the outer edge of the feet, but not insisting that the thighs are hugging towards each other and allowing them to move a little bit laterally is at very least a worthy experiment for a yoga practitioner. Mm -hmm. And if we're not willing to experiment and observe cause and effect, embark in self-inquiry, just get a spin bike. So I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment. What if I'm a yoga teacher and I believe that not, you know, that bringing the the feet wider and not actively hugging the legs together, you know, toward the midline. I don't know if you even use that instruction, but is going to compress the sacrum. It's not. That there just isn't a mechanical rationale to believe that. So contracting your gluteus maximus just doesn't actually compress your sacroiliac joint. Like that's just genuinely, it does not to do that thing. Engaging your hamstrings does not compress the sacroiliac joint. Sacroiliac joints kind of, it's, it's big own ball of wax, which we've talked about. So maybe we can put in the show notes, a link to our SI joint. So I don't have to feel Mm -hmm. compelled to go into all that stuff, Mm -hmm. but taking the feet a little bit wider and using the muscles on your backside, including your glute max is not, let me put it this way. It's very unlikely to compress your sacroiliac joint. So that's why I would say experiment, right? So the bottom line is, the first bottom line is take the feet wider, see how that feels. Turn them out a little bit, see how that feels. Genuinely inquire. And then if it feels better, meaning you have a greater experience of postural integrity. To me, that's what feeling better in a pose feels. It feels like, the demand and the stress and the sensations are better distributed. There's more, not even necessarily that something is easier, but it's kind of like fit. Like a small t-shirt does not fit me. It's too small. A large t-shirt does not fit me. It's too big. A medium t-shirt fits me. It's the same thing with a yoga pose. It doesn't mean like a small, medium, large is better or worse. It means we are now at the phase of 
postural yoga understanding where we just have to understand there is a range of what is correct in any given pose. And we have to see what that range is. So if you experiment with greater width and even a little bit of turnout, and it feels like it's a better fit in your experience, keep it. If it doesn't feel like it's a better fit in your experience, don't. Because again, there is nothing wrong with feet hip width apart and parallel and internally rotated. It's just that that doesn't work for everyone. It works for a particular body type, but not everybody has that body type or will ever have that body type. So it's about being responsive to the need in the current moment. So where do you feel like it goes too far in the experimenting? Like if I'm, so let's say I'm pressing into Urdhva I've got my feet a little wider. I'm letting my, or I'm sorry, yes, I've got my feet a little wider and slightly turned out. Is it okay if I let my knees like kind of drop outwards or is that going too far? Like where do we? So I think what you still want to have a postural continu- continuity between the, the position and angle of the foot the position and angle of the shin, the position and angle of the knee, position and angle of the thigh. You still want the foot and the knee. I still want my right foot and my right knee in the same line as each other, right? Okay. So let's say you have turned your feet out 10 degrees. The front of your mat is zero degrees. You've turned the feet out 10 degrees. Don't let the knees go 20 degrees. So you don't, you don't want you let the knee go 20 degrees. So you're pivoting the whole unit, okay? right? Because if the foot's pointing one way and that same side knee is pointing a different way and you are exerting, the knee is at an increased risk. If it's a really easy pose for you and you have a high stress tolerance, that's not a problem. But for the most part, having the foot and the knee pointing in the same direction, like if each one of those had a laser pointer in them, they're still facing the same direction. Okay. And how much is too much turnout? See, this is where there's so much Joe Bahasadina, right? Because it's just easier to be black and white. It's just easier to say, take the feet hip width apart, toe tips facing the front of the mat. And again, I think that's a really good starting point. It's a really good starting point. But when you're working with an, a slightly experienced group of students, that's already their default. So kind of all of this came up because I was teaching a group of experienced students and there were a lot of them. They're all really great seasoned students, except for that one. (laughs) No, I'm joking. And so for me to say, hey, experiment with taking the feet a little bit wider, see how that feels. Educationally, there's no risk because it feels good, great, adapt to it. It doesn't feel good or it doesn't really make a difference, throw it away. Mm -hmm. When you're working with new students, I think probably telling new students, giving new students fewer options is still a relatively good idea. Being pretty black and white with new students. I mean, they're, they're, new students still have to learn. There's a range of possibility and so forth. But you don't want to give someone that's new at a thing too many things to experiment with. Mm-hmm. So feet wider than hip width apart for people with tighter quads and tighter hip flexors tends to work wonders. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to take that off the table. And the question then, is it going to compress the sacroiliac joint? Is it bad for the body? Is it going to jam the lower back? The answer is 
Well, I don't know. Experiment with it, but it's not likely. It's not likely to increase your possibility of discomfort. If, if something actually fits better, it's less likely to be a longer-term problem than wearing something that doesn't actually fit as well. Mm-hmm. And there isn't, there isn't a mechanical rationale or an injury management rationale why there would be an increased risk of injury with the feet a little bit wider than with the feet not wider. Now, really briefly, I'm going to say the same thing with the hands in upward bow. So in, when you're in Urdhva you can't really apply this to bridge because like, there's not much part in taking the elbows wider in bridge. You can't really apply it to inverted staff pose, Viparita Dandasana, because you can't really flare the elbows wider. But I will tell you, for Urdhva I take the center of my hand on one side of the mat and the center of the other hand on the other side of the mat. And it is a wide frame and it feels amazing. Yeah. And there's actually, there's a fair amount of logic to why a wider hand position in Urdhva might actually not only be more efficient for some bodies, but safer for many bodies. Mm-hmm. Now, again, let's kind of go back to someone that isn't struggling with the pose, Right. Let's go back to someone that their Ordvids on your asana, they have a really good balance of length and strength. They have good technique. They have good, really good range of motion in their front body and strength in the back body. Look, it's not really going to matter if the feet are hip width apart and the shoulders are shoulder width apart, or they're a little bit more narrow or they're a little bit wider. They have the raw ingredients to kind of do that pose in a, in a range of ways. Like when you're really good at something, like when you're like, if you were the best horseback rider in the whole world, does it really matter like if your shirt fits perfectly today or not? Like, no, you have the skill to do it, but most of us are not that. When you take the hands a little bit wider in Urdhva you can likely access greater strength of the shoulder flexion involved. You can likely push the floor away better You can likely access that chain of muscles better. And also when the arms are not really close to the side of the head, for people that are tighter in the pecs, people that are tighter in the lats, it, when the, when the arms are really close and you're tight in those places, sometimes you just can't access those muscles as well. When you take the hands a little bit wider, also there's less likely of any kind of shoulder impingement. Mm-hmm. So again, this is one of those things where listeners, I, I am not saying you shouldn't tell your students when they're setting up for Urdhva take your feet hip width apart, take your hand shoulder width apart, or let, okay, let's go, blah, 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 blah. That's a really good starting place. That's as good of a starting place as anything is, and that position is not wrong. Mm-hmm. But then exposing yourself and students to, okay, last time you started with the hands shoulder width apart, your feet hip width apart. Now take both of those a little bit wider, see how it feels. If it feels better, stay there or take them even a little bit wider. I want you to try to find the sweet spot. But if it starts to feel like, oh, this doesn't work or this just isn't feeling right, come back to that original place. So that's what I'm always looking for is not is not to replace 
yesterday's teaching with today's teaching. It's to say, where is the truth in yesterday's teaching? Okay, let's keep that. And then let's expand to today's teaching another possibility of truth. Because there are so many more people practicing with so many more different body types. Mm. You know who Joe Pasadena was teaching? He wasn't teaching an incredibly diverse community of pupils. Mm -hmm. You know? We kind of look at the evolution of postural yoga and what we'll see is, you know, a lot of it came out of people teaching younger men. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you have a younger, more athletic, gymnastic male, maybe all these narrow strides work. Mm -hmm. But when you expand the body type and when you expand the age range range Mm -hmm. and the frequency Mm -hmm. of people practicing, people practicing less frequently, man, we we have to understand that. And it's not like we're like, changing the rules so everyone can succeed by making it a whatever, just do whatever. No, you. there are different size pants because people wear different size pants, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, and you, you have to be responsive. You, you do. You really have to be responsive. So just experimenting with that stuff, I, I mean, those things, I mean, I've been teaching this stuff. If anyone listens, they've been taking my class on GLOW, I guarantee they've heard me say all of these things, right? At the same time, I think we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our students to continue to question, you know, to continue to question and expand. And if engaging your butt and taking the feet a little bit wider does compress your sacroiliac joint, then don't do it. Mm-hmm. Then go back to something that that doesn't. But we we, but we can't think that the exact way that works for us is empirical, absolute, and is going to work equally for all people. As teachers, we have to understand that there's a, a range of skill uh, or there's a range of correct. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is actually goes back to the importance of, speaks to the importance of feeling comfortable experimenting it also speaks to the importance of trying things out in your own practice as a teacher. Uh-huh. Right? And just saying to yourself, "Hmm, this is not this is this instruction has been given to me for 10 years and I've tried it and I've tried it and I I'm at the point where I'm pretty darn certain I've been executing it correctly and my knee still hurts." I mean, this was me in yeah. in, in the in the opposite in the supine version of Ordovidanarasana in bow pose. I just, for so many years, tried to do it with my knees, you know, parallel, with my shins parallel, with everything just so. And no matter what, I would be limping. I remember, like, limping to work the next day because of my left knee. I just, something is bum about my left knee. Not my right knee. Always my left knee. And when I gave myself a little more space, it was it was so much better. You know what's funny, too, is I think anyone that has a teacher that is absolute and emphatic that in all of these poses, the feet have to be hip width apart, period. If you watch them in a backbend, I bet they have really flexible hip flexors and quads. Mm -hmm. They're probably working with a body that is not your body. Right. Right? And they probably don't have knee or SI pain because 
if you really have those things, you will, and have experimented, you'll see in most circumstances, occupying a little bit more lateral space on your yoga mat ain't going to make things worse. Mm -hmm. It's going to distribute the stressors in a more compound and comprehensive way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because it just, it reminds me of ballet and how, you know, people believed in, in classical postures and, and classical alignments and that classical was the thing to aspire to. And so if you had a body that could do all those things, you were, you were celebrated and you were the muse and you were just the most beautiful thing. But like yoga is not about fitting yourself into a beautiful classical shape. It's not supposed to be. (laughs) Wait a second. I mean, that's kind of what you and I were taught, but that's not supposed to be the goal. Yeah. I think there's such a, well, I won't say it's not supposed to be the goal. I would say it's not our goal. Right. Because if you look at it, let's not, we can't pretend that yoga doesn't have a woefully patriarchal history. Right. And that it is, and that it wasn't taught in pretty black and white singular ways. We're, it's, this is well, more. We don't, you and I don't know from enough. experience past a certain amount of generation. Fair enough. So I think, I think what we are up against here is like modernism and postmodernism. Like, is there a singular truth mm-hmm. and a singular path? And if you follow that singular truth and that singular path, you will arrive at the promised land. Mm-hmm. Or is there not a singular truth? Are there multiple paths? And do you have to kind of sort through and find that way? These are massive, massively different frames of consciousness. But we represent a more modern frame of consciousness. And I think that the majority of contemporary practitioners do. You and I are not particularly true believers. Like we are true believers in the process of inquiry and the mm-hmm. teachings of yoga. Mm-hmm. But we are not true believers that trikonasana has to be done, you know, with a neutral curve in the spine and, you know, looking up at the drishti in your palm. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think that that's, that's what we're we're representing here is that there is a is that there is a broader way of doing things and i also understand the allure of not having broader ways of doing things i understand the allure right well it's great to think that there's one truth and that totally there's an answer and all you got to do is just plug and play we talked a lot about this when we were talking about i feel i don't remember how long ago i think it was not actually that long ago when we were talking about the the need for connection and that it just feels, it feels really good to feel like you're on a team and even better, you're on the winning team, that you're part of a community and that community has answers. Like that's a real human, that's a real human thing to mm-hmm. want to have those connections. The challenge, and this is what I always bring up is each team kind of has a point. Each team has some kind of interesting things to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And in the modern era, at least what you and I represent in this conversation is a clear example of it is 
give me whatever strategy to be well. Give me five different strategies to be well. Let me look at those things. And then maybe five of them aren't going to work for me, but I don't need to just pick one. Maybe there's a combination of two of those things that work. Mm-hmm. Yep. I wanted to say briefly before we close, two more thoughts about backbends. Now, I'm going to be unnecessarily, not divisive. I'm always intentionally and necessarily divisive. <laughs> I'm going to bring up a little bit of a false dichotomy. Okay. Okay? Just, just for the sake of thinking about something. I want us to think about backbends that, that have a greater emphasis of strength generation and backbends that have a greater emphasis of range of motion or opening generation. And, and, and where that's a false dichotomy, obviously, is strength and range of motion are integrated. They're not these polar opposite things. Similarly, I might be in locust pose and locust pose focuses more on strength but also creates a little bit of nice range of motion and opens up that front body a little bit, right? But I've been thinking about this a lot lately is that you have backbends that skew more heavily towards creating posterior body strength. So strengthening the back of the arms, the back of the shoulders, the back of the back, your butt, your hamstrings, your calves. And those backbends are more the backbends where you have to use those muscles to lift up against the downward pressure of gravity. So locust pose, all the locust pose variations, bow pose, all the bow pose variations, even to some degree, Natarajasana, right? Especially when I teach people Natarajasana and bow, where they're reaching back, but they're not actually holding the feet, which is awful. It feels, it's so hard. It's just like, it's embarrassingly hard and everyone hates it. And I feel like no one's ever going to come to class again because you work really hard and you don't feel good about yourself, Yeah, you know? <laughs> and you know, you don't, nothing about it looks It doesn't pretty. look good. There's you nothing. better not like, that's when you've got to turn that camera off, Yeah, you know? But those poses are a little bit more oriented towards strengthening the back body. And those are the poses that for me as a yoga practitioner, I did not used to value. I did not want to do. I did not see the utility in because I identified myself as tight, which was true, but I was also weak. I didn't actually know that part. I identified myself as tight. I I identified backbends as creating more length and openness and spaciousness and a kind of ethereal just space on the front body and it's kind of stress relief and they are those things but the backbends that do those things best are backbends that use the arms and legs pressing down into the floor to produce length on the front side so like bridge pose you use the arms and legs. In bridge pose, you, you are using the muscles of your backside, but not nearly as much. Mm-hmm. In bridge pose, you're pushing the floor away. And as you push the floor away, that's creating stretch on that front side. That's, that's creating that, that shape that's creating that stretch. Urdhva Dhanurasana, Viparita Dandasana. Even postures like king pigeon in variations, 
Those are the postures where you're really using your limbs and those limbs are pushing into something. The limbs are pushing into the floor or you're reaching back and holding a foot and the limbs are pushing into each other. So those are the backbends that skew more heavily towards increasing your flexibility, increasing your stretch. Again, and where I, where I say it's like, it is entirely a false dichotomy because ultimately all of these poses are on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. But also I think that we can simplify, recognize they're on a spectrum and also say, yeah, but... There are some backbends that are a little stretchier and there are some backbends that are a little bit more strengthening. Yeah. And one of the things I've been thinking about is, I mean, I, you, listeners have heard me say this forever is, I just see the backbends that create strength as so fundamentally important to our body's well-being, not just on the yoga mat, but in this world. Hmm. They're so important because... The back body is, in modern culture, so chronically over-lengthened and weak. Yeah. It's so, it's so over-lengthened and so weak. And a lot of times when something is testy, you know, and a lot of times people, their, their lower back is testy, right? So what do we think we want to do? Stretch it. We want to stretch it. And we don't want to strengthen it because it's already tight. That's a misunderstanding. Hmm. One of the main reasons that back body is so tight is because it's weak. Is because it's weak, right? So weak muscles are very frequently, not always, but weak muscles are very frequently tight muscles because they have to work harder. Think about this. Think about like, okay, you are mentally and emotionally stronger than I am. There is no doubt about it, but I am physically stronger than you are, right? Is this a is this a truism that you're stating? I just felt like it would be the right thing to say. Yesterday, <laughs> yesterday was our anniversary. He's so smart. He didn't get to 13 years for nothing. I know. Yep. This is our 13th year, by the way. Mm -hmm. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Don't say that. I know. Not okay. So okay. So you have to work way harder than I have to work to curl 20 pounds. Yep. Right. I cannot. I don't know that. Pick I can. a number to 15 pounds. Yep. You have to work a lot more than I have to work to curl 15 pounds. So who's going to be tired first? You. If we're both going to be curling 15 pounds, you're going to be way more tired than I am. Mm -hmm. And what are tired and overworked things? Stressed. Stressed. What are stressed things? Tight. You have to work more. Yeah. It's an, it's, so it is counterintuitive, and I'm not giving therapeutic advice here. But it is counterintuitive for many people, including myself, for a really long time. It's counterintuitive to say, oh, that back body is testy. Oh, that back body is tight. Well, what in your life are you doing that's making those things strong? And if the answer doesn't come to mind right away, strength is probably important. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that those ethereal backbands aren't important, but the more you can slowly and progressively include more postures, more backbends that are lower range, higher strength, strengthening your hamstrings, strengthening your butt, strengthening your back body. Nothing physically good comes from those things being chronically underutilized. Mm -hmm. So 
And again, this isn't me saying that we shouldn't stretch those things. It's that we are already going to do that in yoga. It's implicit. So I have been saying this for all for years now, but that's another thing that came out of this sequencing week that I was teaching is just how inclined I am towards increasing the total volume of not super hard opening backbends throughout a practice, but much more consistency of lower range, higher tone backbends throughout that entire sequence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So two big takeaways today. Experiment with the width of your feet and your arms. Yeah. And mostly Orvidanyarasana. And bridge. And bridge with your legs. And maybe even bow. But I, I, I do it in bow. Let but. me, really quick, I think it's very reasonable to experiment with a wider position in all the symmetrical backbends. Okay. The asymmetrical backbends, maybe not, because it's going to increase the asymmetry, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So that might produce some knock-on effect. So for like your Natarajasana, or your king pigeon, your ekapada uh, raja kapatasana. I don't think that I would encourage you to be taking the the thigh wider, yeah, right? It, because it's it's already asymmetrical. It will increase the asymmetry that might have more secondary effects that actually might end up being irritating to a sacrum or to that right. side of the lumbar. Right. Yeah. Okay. So point number one. Experiment with the arms and the feet wider in symmetrical backbends. And point number two was focusing on backbends where you are building strength. That's it. All right. It took me 42 minutes to say that. I'm, I'm, I'm good at summarizing. That, that was my job for many years. Thanks, Jason. Wrap it up. You just said wrap it up. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I will put links to past episodes on the show notes page, which you can find at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 240. And if you enjoy the podcast, I always so appreciate when you share. Oh my God, turn your phone off. I love him. He is the most annoying. <laughs> person on the planet guys i love when you share i love when you write reviews apologies for all our insanity today until next week enjoy the people in your life who make you laugh and make you crazy and enjoy your practice 